Welcome to the Pac-Man Podcast. Here you will find Dr. Cindy Elliser and Kat McKeever, researchers at Pacific Mammal Research, talking all about marine mammals. We will have a variety of ways to share information with you through discussing research articles and news stories, interviews with other researchers, and more. Join us to learn more about marine mammals and have some fun. Welcome to the Pac-Man Podcast. I'm Cindy. And I'm Kat. And this week is really cool. We're doing a journal review, and it's a really cool article, but I say that every week, so. (laughs) (laughs) We are biased. Yeah, I mean, we get to pick the articles, so I should hope you think that they're interesting. Um, But this one is about uh, killer whales' uh, um, predation on large baleen whales. So um, this is the killer whale predatory scarring on mysticetes. A comparison of rake marks among blue humpback and gray whales in the eastern North Pacific by Corsi et al. And this is in Marine Mammal Science. Yeah. And this was published just recently in July of 2021. Yes. So very recently, as uh, most of ours kind of are because we're picking out the ones that are more recent in nature. But um, so what what I think of this is so cool, just to kind of start off with the overview is that they're using photo ID to be able to determine how much and how often these larger whales are being attacked by killer whales. Which is kind of insane when you think about it, that like you don't have to be there to witness it. You don't have to like, you literally can just look at a picture and get all of that information. It's wild. Yeah, and you're like, oh, like, uh, you know, how much of the fluke or the body has been covered in scars from attacks? So how often are these poor animals getting attacked? Kind of, you know, kind of similar to the one we did with the manatees with the boat strikes. Yes. So actually that was two podcasts ago now. If you did not listen to our episode called We Stop for Manatees, then go check it out right now. Um, But yeah, it does. It it, This ties really nicely in with that one. Um, Yeah. So being able to use photo ID, not just to recognize individuals, because that, that is these scars also help us do that. But it's one of the important things about photo ID is that there's more that we can get than just that, right? We can understand more about the the things that are negatively affecting them by being eaten by killer whales or attacked by killer whales um, or by boats in the manatees, um, in the manatees episode. Uh, but we can understand more about what's really affecting them and what we need to do to protect them by using these photos. Yeah, absolutely. So, so let's get the... Okay. Yeah, it started. Yeah. So the um, one thing that's really important is the just the idea of predator prey relationships in the first part, um, because it is kind of the big driver for a lot of behavioral and um, behavioral traits and, you know, what behaviors animals have, because, you know, certain animals aren't going to go out into the light where there is an open field where everybody could see you uh, to go forage <laughs> because there's a risk of being eaten by some predator. So their behaviors are related to the risk and reward of going out to get food versus possibly being eaten. Mm-hmm. Um, so it shapes behavior and it also shapes the evolution of phenotypic traits. And phenotypic means what you physically look like. Right, your appearance. Right. So, you know, you maybe have spikes on your back because something tries to grab you from up top. So those may have evolved over time to be a defense against uh, predators. And we'll be talking about this a bit as we go through, but there's a a term called the evolutionary arms race. So you have a predator that tries to eat this animal. Well, that animal will uh, eventually evolve 
defense mechanisms that will you know make it harder for the predator and then the predator will evolve <laughs> things to get past those those defenses and so on and so forth at, over time um you get this this arms race of who can do better in either attacking or not getting eaten mm -hmm. so it's a really it's a really important driver of a lot of things um, for prey uh, and predators yeah, and this is kind of a fun one because they are one of the main ways that a lot of larger whales evade predators is kind of one of two strategies or a mixture of two strategies, which is run away, so flight, <laughs> or stop and actually try to fight the predator off, um, right. which typically they'd be doing in, in groups of animals, most typically with larger whales, but not always. Yeah, and what's interesting um, they noted here, which I hadn't really thought about because um, we don't do as much work on the larger larger whales, um, but that flight or fight, uh, and you don't really, you honestly don't really think about whales like fighting because, you know, they don't have fists or like claws or <laughs> other things that are more, you know. <laughs> so, um, so, but they, they can, they can, I mean, they're, especially these large whales, I mean, one, one tail swish and that's it, you know, take out a boat, take out a, um, another whale, you know, they're very, very strong. Um, but the, there's what they call the balaenopterids. <laughs> Those are also called the rook walls. These are the baleen whales that have the, the pleats um, and their throat, the throat grooves that can expand like an accordion when they feed. When they feed. Um, and these guys are very streamlined. They, they've evolved for speed. So they're pretty much going to flee. <laughs> so for example, think of a think of a blue whale. That's right. the best example of a balanopterid. Yeah, blue fin, say, and um, um, um birdie, bird, beard, but the B-Y-R-D. Birdis, Birdis, there we go. I always say that one wrong. Birdis. Um, and and Hinky. Hmm? Don't forget yeah. the minkies. And <laughs> I won't forget the minkies. I love my stinky minkies. Um, so all of them, and then it's often extended to humpbacks although they're they're kind of on a in a gray area kind of thing mm -hmm. um but all of them will flee at first like all will that's the first really like everybody's just gonna go ah and run away um but the the balaenopterids those rock walls will basically continue to feed but the other ones are the only ones the rest of the baleen whales are the ones that will stay and fight if they're right. overtaken yeah so basically if the if your predator catches up to you what are you going to do are you going to try to keep running Right. Or do you turn and try try to fight it off because you've already tried running and it maybe didn't work. <laughs> right. And so the other guy, the, the balaenopterids are just like, mm -mm, I'm just fleeing, just going to keep going. And then the non-balaenopterids are ones that will be like, well, okay, I'll stand fight. Um, mm -hmm. So the three that they looked at, the three species that they're looking at here are blue whales, humpback whales, and gray whales. So the blue whale is a rock wall. So they're the ones that are, are just going to flee. Um, and then the gray whale would be technically one that maybe wouldn't necessarily flee. It's a non-balaenopterid. And then the humpback is that guy that he's kind of in the middle. So not really a one, but could be one. So, which actually kind of makes sense in the results, actually. Yeah, I thought <laughs> that too. Into that. Well, 
I thought it was interesting too when they were talking about the non-balanopterids and just the fact that a lot of them, you know, visually they look different, right? So this, these are whales like gray whales that have those larger bodies in general. They're not quite as torpedo shaped, but I really right. thought it was interesting that they mentioned the potential natural armors such as barnacles mm -hmm. and things like that that grow on those types of whales, which was really cool. I hadn't really thought of it like that. I hadn't either, but it's like, yeah, you know what? That's really the barnacle. If you ever stepped on a barnacle, it really hurts. Yep. <laughs> slice you right open and they can have like gray whales can have up to 400 pounds of barnacles on them yeah. so not exactly the, the easiest prey yeah anyway so, i just thought that was interesting that was cool um and so they did n say too and talking about the evolutionary part of it um that that predation um is suggested as the primary driver of migration so migrating to those lower latitudes in the winter to calve and birth to basically to not be in a place where you might get eaten. Although they do have sharks down in those latitudes. So they do, but I don't know how many of them will, you know, sharks, I don't think really tend to take that much larger of animals. Well, that's well, true. Fair yeah. point. So it all depends on what you eat. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So you have to worry about it. Um, so they are looking at rake marks. So what a rake mark is, is basically the marks that a, a teeth make when an animal scrapes on somebody else. And if you've ever seen Rizzo's dolphins, they're a great one to show showcase uh, rake marks because they're just covered in them to the point where they just meld all together and they kind of become white as they get older. Um, but they're very common in, in between um, individuals within a, a species and population. Um, and they're all, so within conspecific, so they will do social, you know, socially aggressive, they'll bite at each other and do their, you know, um, social behaviors and things like that. Um, so that's common, but they also come from these attempts of being, trying to get eaten by, you know, a shark or another whale, um, and they're left with those teeth marks. So they can use them for ID. Um, they've used them to look at rates of social aggression. So again, you know, certain species or, or even populations will have more of them. Males usually kind of have more rake marks than females because male on male aggression is more common. Um, so they've looked at all of those in different, you know, different studies about you know, how they use rake marks. Um, and then they also have looked, use these rake marks to look at um, the incidence of a shark uh, of, of attacks of you know killer whale attacks for example um the location on the body so where what locate what part of the body is attacked more um so the severity of the attempt but all of those have been very qualitative in nature so far so what this paper was doing differently is putting a more quantitative measure on what they can find out about these attacks from the rake marks right right so um, the U.S. West Coast is a really good one to do this if you're looking at blue whales, gray whales, and humpback whales, because we got a lot of those over here. <laughs> um, so they like to migrate up along the coast, so it's fantastic. Uh, and the uh, Cascadia Research Collective it, it basically has photo ID um, catalogs from, from the 1980s through today uh, for all of these animals. Right, right. So you have so an amazing amount of data basically yeah. to go through. Right. I, I mean, it's, it's, it, that's again, and, and again, the, this is the idea of long-term data, right? Having this long-term data sets allows you to do all this really cool research, but you have to have, you have to be out there taking those photos every year. Right. Um, so we have blues and we have humpbacks that migrate up and down. And then specifically the gray whales that they looked at here 
because there's a specific group here called the Pacific Coast Feeding Group, about 250 gray whales that are that come in the spring through like spring summer um, every year and come back into this area. So that particular group is basically most of the gray whales that they um, used in the study, just because that's most of the whales that they have in the, for the gray whales in their in their photo ID mm -hmm. uh, catalogs. So basically, um, getting into the methods then, they uh, basically took photos. <laughs> the, the very basics of it is they took photos and they looked for rake marks and they added all this stuff up to see how much of the fluke was covered um, and, uh, and you know how severe the things were. Um, but they, um, they, they, they started with the qualitative work that had been done before on, you know, the, the incidence of the marks, right, how often it happens. Um, but then they did that for um, humpback whales, and then they extended it to also include the blue and the gray whale. So do you want to talk about why they use the fluke? Um, I can. <laughs> um, so, oh, go ahead. Yo, no, well, so what's the, you know, what's the, the, the main way that we ID? Oh, right. Well, obviously they're, they're flukes. <laughs> right. So, but what's interesting is, is, you know, we talk about um, ID marks and humpback whales, that's the primary ID mark, right? Um, and especially the, which side, the dorsal or the ventral side? For the, for the humpbacks, it's the ventral side. Right. So because of their behavior, right? So because they fluke up often when they dive, they fluke up and you can see the ventral part and it has all the pigmentation on it. And that's what they use for those animals. But for the gray and the blue, these are only actually secondary marks because they don't fluke up as much. Mm -hmm. um, but they still do. So, <laughs> And I guess they had to have some way of comparing. And if you're using different body parts, it would be very difficult to actually get any kind of usable data to compare and contrast between the three and the three species. Yeah, it would be really hard to be like, well, it's a blue whale peck fin, but it's a gray whale fluke, and right. it's a humpback, whatever. Um, so this allows an uneven playing field. For and sure. also in, in terms of behavior, um, just in terms of where animals are likely to get raked, um, mm -hmm. it is, you know, there is, as we'll see, different likelihoods, but um, you, right. know, you are likely to have something, snap, you know, effectively snapping at your heels, right? So something right. trying to grab onto your tail. Um, Especially if you're running away. Exactly, exactly, yep. <laughs> so as you're flying away, you can see, you know, like think about things like going after the, the flukes, it, it would make sense. Um, and that, that, that's also their propulsion. So if you could slow down or mess up their propulsion, that gives you a as a predator a better chance of getting the animal. Yep, absolutely. So um, they did note that, again, so these scars are n not necessarily permanent. It depends on the rake marks. Some will be permanent. Some will heal up and, and can um, not be seen, especially years and years after. Um, so scars can fade and change, but they did assume that the scars were in, in, uh, indicated the rate of attack or you know how much of an attack there was based on other studies that have already, again, done that qualitative um, uh, look at these rake marks and stuff, but it is, has been shown in other literature that this is a good indication of rake, of the incidence of attacks. Um, we're never going to know for sure because we're not out there. <laughs> we don't right. see them. But yeah, so I mean, all of these are, are like a proxy method, basically. This is a proxy method for the number of potential attacks that were um, conducted on this particular animal. Exactly. 
So they used, as when any photo ID, um, they use photo quality measures to make sure that the photos that they're looking at are good enough to be able to look for the things they are looking for. Um, so they, if there was less than 40% of the fluke in the frame, they didn't use it. Um, so uh, that was just, you know, right out of the bat, because you need to have enough of the fluke in the picture to be able to see what's on the fluke. Right? Seems fairly um, logical. <laughs> yeah, you know, little things. Um, and then if the angle is bad, so the angle is always for these, you want it to be perpendicular. So the fluke goes up and you're right behind the fluke, but that, you know, almost never happens. <laughs> um, so depending on how bad that angle was, you know, sometimes they may only fluke up a little bit. And so you have like a, you know, like a 20 or 30 degree angle to look underneath the fluke and that's not going to be great. Um, so they looked at that and if there was a bad backlighting or if the image was blurry, um, they marked that as ones that they just didn't put into the analysis. Right. So always important to have that photo quality in it when you're using photos, because especially a, a blurry photo, you may be able to ID or be able to see rake marks, but would they be defined enough? Would you end up missing some that would be light, but you wouldn't, you would miss them because it blurred and you didn't see them because they were too light in, in nature. Um, so it's an important part of this process. Mm -hmm. So if you were wondering, what does a killer whale predatory mark look like? Just going to give everyone a moment to think about that. Think about killer whales mm -hmm. with their teeth. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, this was funny because I'm like, I, you know, I, it's, it's, that's one of those things. That's, it's actually difficult to some degree to determine what made certain marks on animals because yeah. some animals can make similar ones and, you know, they look at the teeth, how far apart the teeth are and, um, things like that, but the the kill, for killer whale scars, it was three or more parallel lines. Right. Um, and I mean, one of the one of the benefits with doing this type of study on these species specifically is that none of these species, if they get into conspecific conflicts, they don't really have teeth. So like, you're not going to be seeing that based on. True. It's not like it's not like you're doing this on bottlenose dolphins, where it's like, oh well, that could have been another male that raked you with its teeth. I hadn't um, even thought of that, honestly. That's, yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. They're not doing it to so, each other. <laughs> right. So, I mean, yes, to, to some degree, they are having to kind of make a classification. And yes, there is some ambiguity there potentially, but also the the most likely thing to create these marks on a baleen whale would be a killer whale. So I just, now, I'm, now I'm just envisioning them like gumming each other with their baleen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You gave me a rash. <laughs> Man, stop it. It's so itchy. Oh. Um, so, uh, so yeah, the three pair lines. And they would be able to tell the difference generally between a shark, like a shark and a killer whale. Those would have very different marking patterns. Um, and that would probably be the only other thing that might make a mark on them. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, so then if they had missing, missing portions of the fluke, they call those mutilated. Aptly named. Yeah. <laughs> you lost some fluke for it. Um, so the figures that they used for this, I loved. So they, they marked off to do this quant more quantitatively. They marked off different sections of the fluke and numbered them. And it, it looked to me like a paint by numbers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, ooh, that looks fun. So cool. So it's like on the edge is like nine, nine, nine. And then in the middle will be like 12 and a 12 over here. And um, 
So, but it they so they were able to put say on you know, which part of the fluke did this occur? Was it the top part? Was it the bottom part by the tail stock or the tail? You know, the edge with the um, that kind of thing. Um, and if a if a rake mark went through more than one area, they did it with whichever one had the most proportion of the scar. So if it was like ninety percent in area twelve and only ten percent in area nine, then it was classified as area twelve markings. And we will have a link to this paper, by the way, if you're curious yes. what this actually looks like. We will, of course, link to this paper so you can go check it out yourself because they are they're Like you said, their graphics are excellent in this paper. It just made it mm -hmm. so much easy to grasp what they're trying to do. Yeah, it was really, really cool. Mm -hmm. uh, it almost it almost looks like some kind of like jewelry, like you could put different stones in the sections that they had. It would look really pretty. Never even <laughs> thought of that. Look at us getting autistic on this episode. Wow. I know, right? I just looked at it. And I was like, Ooh, that'd be a beautiful pendant. <laughs> All right, um, I digress. Um, and they also was interesting talking about the location of where these attacks are happening on the fluke could indicate um, the attack strategy, which we'll talk about. Um, but that's why it's another another important not just to say how much was the fluke was covered, but where on the fluke was it happening? Yeah. Um, and then they they quantify the severity. Um, by looking at the, basically the percentage of scarring on the fluke over the total area of the fluke measured in pixels in the photos. Um, and what I thought was really interesting is like, so what happens if you have a mutilated fluke? Well, <laughs> you have a smaller area, but conceivably the rest of that area was should be a percentage of scars. You know, mm -hmm. so I think what they did, if I read it right, is that they basically like, you know, kind of continued to you know, draw it out and say like, okay, well, this, there's about this much percentage that would have been also covered in scars if right. Luke was not mutilated. Um, so I, I like that they uh, accounted for that, mm -hmm. which I think was really cool. So that's basically what they did. They got to look at a lot of cool photos and then measure all these amounts of scarring patterns. And and what I find interesting too is like, imagine looking through all these photos and and as a scientist being like, oh, this is so cool that we can figure this out. But at the same time being like, Oh man, right? <laughs> These poor <laughs> witches. <laughs> well, it's like with the manatees, where it's like every single one of them's been hit by a boat. You know, <laughs> like God, like how many of you guys have been attacked by killer whales? Good lord. So yeah. it's a it's a happy and a sad thing at the same time. But at least yeah. we can find out information about it and see what's normal, and then we can also see when that becomes abnormal. Um, right. If we have right. a baseline. Have that line yep exactly and then they did run a bunch of statistical analyses on these as well um so they, they were able to then compare basically between different species um you know they can they compared a variety of different things which we will go into in the results section next after we take a quick break yes thank you for that um i was just be like yeah statistics <laughs> <laughs> they don't really go into it which is nice it's like one tiny little paragraph so yeah she's like okay we did statistics and that's good but uh yes um we will take a quick break and be right back okay we are ready to dive right into the results <laughs> i think i made that joke on another one too sorry uh, so, so these guys, uh, they looked through a lot of photos. They had 360 blue whales, 368 gray whales, and 470 humpback whales. And I was impressed that they were relatively equal in the amount that they Yeah, had. I was. I wonder if that was somewhat intentional. 
I don't know, but I mean, then you have the humpbacks that are almost 100 over. So I think they use as many as they yeah. could. I think it just happened to work out. True. Hmm. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. But the the big thing, so as Kat mentioned before the break, um, they looked at a lot of different things between the species. So like the incidents, you know, how many of them in the population are attacked by gray, by, by gray whales, by killer whales. Zero <laughs> percent by gray whales. Um, <laughs> Uh, how you know how, what percentage of uh, were had mutilated flukes? Um, where on the flukes that they were uh, being attacked? And what's really interesting is that there were, were big species differences. Mm -hmm. So the first one, of course, is who would so I, who did you think was going to win on who got attacked more? Cat, did you have a, a a thought? I assumed gray whales, mm. which was. Was correct. correct. Yes, <laughs> by by quite a large margin. Uh, yeah. Fifty-two percent, forty-two percent. Sorry, forty-two percent of gray whales had markings of killer whale attacks, uh, compared to only nineteen percent of humpbacks and only twenty percent of blue whales. Mm -hmm. So, and I guess for me, I think like gray whales just seem slower again with the with the big barnacles and everything, and blue whales are just so big that I mean, if you're going after a blue whale, even a young one. <laughs> Well, and that's the thing, like it just, yeah, just the size differential alone. Plus blue whales are also, they are really fast. Like they are, yeah. they're huge, but they're, they're pretty fast. So yeah. like you said, you, you'd be less likely to try to take on a blue whale. I would, I would think, um, <laughs> Hey, I'm not a killer whale. So I, don't right? know. I mean, I know who knows what happens in their, in their minds, but, uh, right. yeah, I did. I did also assume gray whale, which unfortunately was correct. <laughs> I, and, you know, I was surprised that almost 50% of them showed mm. Of it. So again, it's kind of like that manatee episode where it's like, whoa, I didn't realize that many were getting attacked. And and these are only the ones that are survived, right? So we're not right. taking into account the ones that died in the process of getting attacked. So yep. it's actually Point. probably higher. Um, yeah. So uh, and we and uh, a side note, we not well, not side note, clarification note. Um, we are talking about bigs or transient killer whales here. These are the marine marine mammal eaters along the the U.S. West Coast. Good. Uh, point yes good point there's many yeah, different have, types of, yeah. of killing yes and we have kind of fairly distinct ones in this area so yeah the, the big killer whales are the ones who eat um marine mammals or as they correctly stated in this paper warm-blooded animals yes which I, in, I appreciated that very specific term as we'll, we'll see yeah that. we'll get to that in the discussion i thought that was awesome <laughs> but yes warm-blooded things is what they eat versus the residents uh resident killer whales which eat only fish and the offshores which generally eat sharks and skates uh, oh my gosh skates and rays and things like that yeah um so okay so gray whales have the big punch taken out of them they're mo the ones that have been hit the most um but what's interesting is that you flip that now um and that oh and um that the Blue whales, 48% of those that had scars on them were also mutilated. Right. So, so the blue like, whales are not being hit as much, but when they are, the killer whales are taking significant chunks out of their fin, basically. Yeah. Is what that and and gray was at the bottom, right? So humpback again is kind of in the middle, and then you have the grays that are and, and you know, so I wonder if that does go into also maybe more grays are being taken and dying. So we're not seeing that they might be mutilated, but they ended up dying, you know, like, is that part of it? Potentially, but grays also would have more likelihood of turning and fighting. So 
the right, tail may not necessarily at the forefront of the attack all the time. Right. Yes. Because if they stopped and they're like, no, don't do it anymore. And then they get taken. Then they're, yeah, the, the, the fluke is not going to be the thing that gets mutilated. That makes sense. Right. right. As the, as the blue whale's fleeing away, mm -hmm. nip, 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 eventually something snaps. Right. Um, and then, and then, so this was the, I think the biggest thing from the paper, um, in relating to hunting strategies, uh, is that where on the fluke differed by species. So again, the blue, it was the leading edge. 59% of the uh, scars were on the leading edge, whereas only 25% or 17 uh, on the middle and 17% on the trailing edge, where they kind of grouped more of the paint by numbers sections together to, to create three, three basic sections. Right. Um, and the humpback and the gray were opposite. So their trailing edge at 50 and 58% versus their middle at 32 and 27% or they're leading at 17 and 15%. So very much opposite. They were getting the blue, the humpback and grays were getting hit with the trail on the trailing edge, which is the, the back end. And the blues were getting hit on the leading edge, the front of where the, the, the flute goes into the body. Right. Which again, if you think about how, like you said, the hunting strategy, part of that, the orcas are trying probably with the blues, it would make most sense for them to try to slow it down. Right. right. So they are they are likely trying to take bites out of it in a place where that would be most devastating to the actual overall shape of the door of the fluke, excuse me, not dorsal fin, <laughs> um, <laughs> versus, you know, the humpbacks and grays where maybe that's not, maybe they're just trying to, you know, trying to take bites at it, but it's not necessarily the main strategy of hunting. Right. Yeah. Right. Very interesting. Yeah. And it's, 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 yeah. It, and it, like, it makes sense when you kind of think about it, but you don't really like, oh, they're just going after a whale. Like, well, no, especially killer whales, very prey specific hunting techniques oftentimes. Um, so, and we'll, and we'll get into that in discussion. We don't want to jump the, jump the shark there. <laughs> nice. <laughs> All right. Um, so what was also interesting is it, I thought this was really interesting. The severity is less in the blue whale, yet they're more mutilated. Yeah, I mean, I guess they could only really tell. So, well, no, they were compensating for that. Yeah, yeah, like there was, the, it was less severe in the blue. But again, also, you know, they're so big and massive. Maybe it just isn't as, you know, the same killer whale bite on a on a blue whale versus a humpback or a gray may not have the same severity just very from good. Differences. very good point yeah um but apparently their flukes are just like popping off all over the place so <laughs> that's their weak point that's their achilles heel i guess um and then the the last thing that or one of the last things they had the the cumulative scarring they looked at you know is is were there differences in in animals getting more and more attacks over uh, as uh, as adulthood um, but that was like really not really significant at all. It didn't, there was no difference between the species in how many got ac accumulated um, multiple attacks. Um, and then the last one, the thing they did was they looked at an, um, a, a basically the earliest photo they have of an animal and the latest photo they had of an animal. Um, and I think they only did the, oh no, they did this with both. Um, so they were trying to compare the, the rake marks on that, if they had any from the first one, and then how many they had in the latest uh, picture um, and see if there's any differences. And um, the gray whales had the highest number of new rake marks in the most recent photo. So they had like 32% versus humpbacks of only 15% and blues of only 6%. 
Um, so again, I think that goes more towards again, like grays are just getting attacked more. That's right. Kind of thing. Um, and oh, and actually, we'll go over this discussion why this may have why th this in particular, why more recently they may have had more than mm. these other two species. Mm -hmm. um, but what was interesting is the last rake marks were less severe than the first if they had them on the first one. Which again kind of makes sense if you're talking about age and getting older mm -hmm. because presumably if you're if you've survived it once before maybe right. the animal has learned some better strategies about avoidance. Also it's likely just a larger animal at that point. Yeah. Um, so yeah makes sense again. Well, and then we did we did that other episode about the um, the sperm whales and the harpoons and and mm -hmm. the social learning of that and stuff too. So again, the behavior changes once you've survived something, and how that can change what when you enter and when you when you encounter it again, it may not be as bad. Right, which again ties back into what you were talking about at the beginning with the evolutionary arms race of right. figuring out strategies and then figuring out strategy to counter that strategy. It's like a game of chess. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a, chess is a good analogy. A, a less violent. Right. <laughs> unless, you're playing, unless you're playing wizard's chess, and then it's very violent. Well, there, there is that. <laughs> okay, so moving into the discussion. Um, again, they were only using survivors to analyze this, so there is some sort of bias there in not being able to have that data for the ones that died in the process. Um, but overall, I think this is a very good indication of what's happening to these whales. Um, and so the marks on the fluke make sense, and we you kind of touched on this earlier, um, because they're the things that are used in defense. Like I said before, you know, that's their main thing. They A tail whack is really, really strong. I was uh, in the Bahamas, uh, we were researching the dolphins out there, and sometimes, you know, they, they play rough, and we I've heard a tail whack in the water and it's loud and I wasn't even right next to it, you know, and it's very strong and that's just a dolphin. So I couldn't even imagine a 50 foot humpback whale. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there you go. Um, so they're going to use that in, in, as their defense. And again, as you mentioned before, who's going to be nipping at your heels as you're trying to flee away. So mm -hmm. it makes sense that this is going to be the most common place to have um, these marks on the body. Right. Um, so um, the they compared their results to other studies that have looked at incidence rates. So how often animals are, how many animals in the population are being attacked. Um, and it was pretty similar for gray whales. Oh, no, sorry. The gray whales was twice the amount of the previous work, two times the amount. Um, so that was interesting. Um, but that previous work was in the 1960s and on whales that were killed so it's not you're not doing complete apples to apples comparison there right so that different approach you know live whales that have survived versus whales that are dead might have some some variation there in the incidence rate um but alluding to what we just we're just talking about in the results why are these gray whales uh, increasing from that first photo to the last photo? Why is there so much more? You know, 32% had marks at the more recent photo versus the earlier one. Is that during this time frame since the 1960s, and especially in the last few decades, both gray whale and killer whale populations have increased? Yeah. And specifically, again, you know, those big killer whales, which are the ones that we are concerned with here, like they have also been spending more and more time in and around these waters. 
where the Pacific Coast Feeding Group, which they specifically looked at and for these gray whales. Right. So the 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 amount of times they're going to encounter each other is going to increase and therefore there will be an increase in the amount of attacks because you're just finding them more in the first place. Right. So the first first thing is to find in this big giant ocean, find your prey. Right. And then once you do, then you can attack them. But um uh, so that's likely uh, at least part of the reason why gray whales are uh, a bit more attacked, I guess, for mm -hmm. lack of a better word, uh, than the other species. Yeah, um, and like you said, the humpback whales was kind of similar to previous studies, um, mm -hmm. and I believe that the blue whales were as well. Yeah, they didn't talk as much. They really only talked about the gray and humpback. In yeah, here. I, I, was gonna and I think it's because blue, blue, we just we still don't know a lot about blue whales. Like, there's not. A lot of research. Yeah, there may not even be previous literature on that for the blue whales. Yeah, I mean, it's it. They're it, for as big as they are, being the biggest animals that have ever lived on the planet. Uh, they're really hard to find <laughs> <laughs> and research. So there's that. Um, so I think that's probably why. Um, yeah, the for the humpback whales, it was the, the same worldwide, like you said, but there was some wide geographic variations that they had noted in those other studies. But overall, it seems like that's pretty normal. So again, that kind of goes back to the grays and the killer whale and the and the um, bigs killer whales doing really well in this area. Mm -hmm. That makes them just they're gonna they're gonna go after them more because they can find more of them, you know. Right. And they're maybe easier than trying to get a blue whale. So, um, so now we're going to get into uh, the last little part here is about the, is the hunting strategies, which is, uh, this is going to be so cool. Um, so the increase in, in attacking the grays and the location, um, they're hypothesizing is related to the interaction with the killer whales or how the killer whales are attacking the different species as to why there are these differences between the species that we're seeing in these rake marks. Mm -hmm. um, so one thing is that grays are super predictable. Yeah, so, they're kind of slow and steady, go to the same place all the time, use the same routes all the time. Yes, yeah, they have <laughs> very predictable migration route, right? And so, I mean, that's any kind of attack thing. Like if you know where your prey is going to be going every day, <laughs> you know where to attack them. So... Um, so that's part part of it. Um, the humpbacks and, and blues don't have as predictable uh, patterns uh, as the grays do. Um, and the um, the fighting back. So as you mentioned that pre previously, that the grays are more likely to fight back than say the blue whale. And that trailing edge is um, they see the same thing with bowhead whales, which are are they they definitely know that they fight back. And so they found the same kind of marking scar patterns as they did on the gray whales. Right. So again, that isn't very indicative. Granted, you know, we can't be sure, but that is indicative of them using that strategy more than something like, say, a blue whale. Mm -hmm. Yep. No. So cool. So yeah, and the, again, the blue whales are flight only. So um, so the, the killer whales are going to have to have a different attack strategy than they would for a gray whale who's going to stop and fight. Like those mm -hmm. are two very different things. They're, you're, you can't just go in punching, you know, and, and expect that to work in every situation. Right. So they are able to, so killer whales, again, are able to adapt to um, different prey species and some have very specific um, um, hunting strategies for specific prey. 
Um, and so this is where I love it. So they, they listed what marine, what the biggest killer whales up here eat. Birds, pinnipeds, whales, dolphins, porpoises. And here's where the warm, general warm-blooded comes. Deer and bears. So crazy. I would, I mean, I know it would be gnarly, but I would kind of love to see a group of killer whales trying to take down a bear. Oh killer my God. Bear. I mean, that's like, that, that's like one of those, uh, if you're, you know, being asked a question like, who's going to win, a killer whale or a bear? And that just seems right? like, that would never happen. Oh, it does. Okay. Because deer and bears both swim, guys. They so they're in the water. They're in their environment. And so it's like, oh, hey. So that's obviously not like a major part of their diet, but. They're also smart enough to realize that if there's a tasty deer morsel swimming by, they might want to try to grab it. Which is not going to have any strategy against a killer whale. Correct. Defense strategy. <laughs> One would think, anyway. I mean, you know, I can't imagine. I mean, maybe they, they do, but like, I think it's pretty low incidence rate, and there's no killer whales on land. So I think they're probably easy pickings for the most part. I mean, a bear would be a bit more of an issue, but. Um, so they do uh, eat other things, uh, anything warm-blooded, as I said. Um, but so a few of the examples they have, you know, ram, they will ram and, and um, tail slap for hunting pinnipeds. It's more of a high-speed chase when you're going after things like porpoises. Um, they will drown and ram baleen calves. So that's usually what happens is that they basically keep swimming until the mother and the calf can't swim anymore because the calf gets tired and then they drown the calf. Um, they usually oftentimes don't go after the mother because the calf is easier. Yeah. Um, and then more, more recently there was the, um, the beat that we did. I think we did the general review of that paper too. Uh, the ones that the whales that were beaching themselves. Mm -hmm. So they learned to beach themselves to try to get the seals that are easy, you know, easier pickings, um, in the shallow area uh, where they haul out. Um, which so, is a strategy killer whales use in other parts of the world. We just do not see that in our area specifically um there's a there's several groups of orcas that use that down in like south america and stuff like that so it is a known strategy but yeah it's been fairly recently observed up here which is quite interesting which again shows the ability for them to learn new things yeah right and they can adjust and and you know and they'll you'll see them um in you know documentaries and stuff well they they will create bow waves to go and try to wash seals off of either ice flows or rocks mm -hmm. to be able to knock them into the water or they if they're on an ice flow you'll see them tipping it up they yeah, they can problem solve. they can yeah. problem solve very well <laughs> very impressive so it makes sense that you would have these different um uh different ones and this is just slightly it's not exactly hunting related but it kind of is um, I just read an article about uh, teeth wear and that certain sp um, species of killer whales, their teeth basically just get degraded. They just get graded off. Um, very bad teeth wear. Um, and it happens in the animals that eat skates and rays and herring. Mm. Because the skates and rays have the, the denticles, mm -hmm. like sharks, uh, and it will just that they're just really rough. It's like sandpaper. Um, and then the herring, their scales also, but the way that they eat the herring, they suck them because they're so small. They suck it, and then it scrapes against their teeth. As they oh, dip. cool. Yeah. So hunting strategies having consequences. <laughs> Eventually right. you run out of teeth, which is... On the physiological traits of the animal. Look at that, right. full circle. Right, so again, some of these, you know, maybe some of those in those areas, the, some of those phenotypic traits are related to these predation um, pressures. Um, 
So the the last kind of thought they had in the paper was uh, talking about the evolutionary split in the baleen whales that was based on these response strategies. So that the differences that we see between, you know, rock walls and the non-baleen apterids, um, the flight versus stay and fight, um, has an effect or a phenotypic effect um, on and the behavior of these animals based on the predation pressures that these killer whales are putting on them. Yeah. So cool. I mean, that's the thing where it just, it really, I feel like this type of paper really brings it home that you have to be considering such a big picture mm -hmm. view of these things. You know, there's, there's so much going on in something as simple as a scar. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just fascinating. It tell you so much. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, you, you look at them like, oh, well, I mean, and we, this one thing we want to try to answer with our photo ID work too is looking at the scars that are on these porpoises and find out did you survive a killer whale attack or was this a fishing gear related or was this some other weird thing that we don't know that you do? <laughs> Maybe um, um, the porpoises have like a fight club somewhere or something and they just like throw things at each other. I don't know. Um, it, like, you know, where are these marks coming from? And, and they can tell us what we can do to protect them. And in this case, there's, you know, there's nothing we can do to protect them, but at least we understand what is happening to their populations in that predator-prey relationship at an ecosystem level, which is so important to understand. Yeah. And we also know, you know, once you know what the background rate of predation is, if you then do have an additional pressure, like a die-off for some reason, mm -hmm. or a pollution spill or something like that, you know what background rate of death you're already dealing with. Right. Um, and so you know what, you know, how that's going to actually affect the animal in real terms and their population. Yeah, and that's so super important to know because it, it's we, we don't live in a vacuum, and neither do these animals. So it's not just one thing that's affecting them; it's many. And when you have multiple ones that, you know, something big happens to them, the other things that affect them may affect them more. And to understand that, we have to know what that baseline is. Yeah. Yep. That's very cool paper. It was very good. I would very, I very much enjoyed it. Um, and I also want a pendant of the <laughs> figure that they have. There we go. Have to write to the authors and be like, hey, so we have right. a great idea. Into a jewelry, please. It's be beautiful. <laughs> um, so again, this is killer whale predatory scarring on mysticetes. Uh, and mysticetes, we failed to mention that. That's the baleen whales. The uh, It means mustache because the baleen looks like a mustache, which I always love. Um, a comparison of rake marks among blue humpback and gray whales in the eastern North Pacific by Corsi et al. And we will have a link to the paper in our show notes. Um, so next week we'll be back with the marine mammal highlight. Uh, we have two good ones up on uh, to be uh, chosen uh, between. Uh, look on our Instagram story, our Instagram and Facebook stories next week uh, to uh, put your vote in for who we should do next. And uh, Trevor will be back with us again. Yay. Do that. Yeah, it's nice to have him back after the busy summer season uh, yeah. of, of research and everything. Um, so there's that. And don't forget to visit our website. We do have a gift shop if you want some cool merch. Um, we have some stuffed animals and t-shirts and um, cool hats. Cool hat. Yes, hats. Oh, and pins. We have pins too. Hat pins and things. Mm -hmm. um, so lots of cool stuff there. And be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. And uh, as always, let us know if there's something you want us to go over, uh, a topic or a paper or whatnot. Um, let us know and we'd be happy to discuss it because we love talking about anything related to marine mammals. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Or the marine world, really. But, I mean, we have a soft spot for marine mammals, obviously. <laughs> but, all right, that's it for us this week. We'll see you next time.
Bye. Bye. This was brought to you by Pacific Mammal Research, a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Check out our website, www.pacmam.org, that's P-A-C-M-A-M, to learn more about us, our research, and the educational opportunities that we provide. Also, help us continue providing fun and educational content like this by donating today. Your help is how we can continue to do our work and share it with you. Thanks.